Good to see you. Welcome to our time together of worship and praise. And when you think about those songs we sang, which were so beautiful, uh, that one just really touched me. Well, they all did, but the, Lord, I need you. You know, I can't do this today without him. You can't hear without him, so we need him. So it's, Lord, we need you. And when we need the Lord, we have to be desperate for him. And when you're desperate for him, you have to walk by faith. So we're trusting him to do what only he can do this last Sunday of the year. And a lot of people make uh, New Year's resolutions. You're already ramping up to thinking about that. Can I just tell you something about resolutions? They'd never work. <laughs> Let me tell you what works. Revelation, not resolution. And it's a revelation of who Jesus is. That's what works. So... You don't have to try harder or do better or try to turn over a new leaf. You just need to follow him, yield to him, surrender to him. So that's what I want to talk to you about. Uh, this text today that we're going to look at will be in John chapter 1. Uh, Brother Stewart has been in the book of John for three years on Wednesday night. I missed chapter 1, so I'm just going to do this one. And the Lord will come back and he'll still be teaching, so we're good there. No, I'm just kidding. So John chapter 1. I want to just talk to you about two simple words today. Jesus says this, follow me. Follow me in 2018. Follow me in 2019. Follow me forever because I will be with you, Lord, for eternity. So it's about fellowship. It's not necessarily about leadership. Leadership is only leadership when there's fellowship. You're only a leader when you learn how to be a follower. And I know that would go against most of the books that people buy on leadership. But leadership is fellowship, and Jesus talks about, in John chapter 1, as he's calling these first disciples, these first followers of him, he's talking to them about a relationship. So we're going to be in verse 35, down to verse 42, but the context of it is, John the Baptist has been baptizing, and he's been telling people a message of repentance, and he's been talking about repent and repent. And so it was three days in the life of Jesus, in the life of John. And in verse 29, John says this in chapter 1. The next day, John is real specific about time references. And he says the next day. The next day, verse 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then if you look at verse 35, he says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said it, here's the second time, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, this is important to understand when you think about what the Jews were thinking about, that would turn on red lights in their mind. When John would say the Lamb of God, they would go back to many thoughts Many things about sacrifice, about a lamb, about the altar. So these things would be important to them. So lights would turn off, but what John is doing is John is saying, don't look at me, look at him. Here comes the lamb. And so if you think about it, maybe there was this idea in their minds about the sacrifice that Abraham was told to sacrifice his son Isaac. You remember the story. So that there could be worship. And so the idea was that, that God told Abraham to, to sacrifice your only son. 
Now, John's saying, here he comes, down the corridors of time, here he comes. But in their minds, it's possible that it could have been talking about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, his son, because God said he will provide for them, and it's a place of worship. So you have this picture, if you will, in your mind of Abraham traveling up the mountain and Isaac traveling up the mountain. Isaac's got wood on his shoulder, and he's got a little fire, a, a pot of fire, and so there would, they would get to the top of the mountain, and, uh, and Abraham would be be thinking, well, this is where we're going to worship. And Isaac would know that this is the reason we're going. We've got wood, we've got fire, we've got an altar. We've got wood, we've got fire, we've got an altar. Daddy, where is the lamb? Where is, the, where is worship? Where is, where is the worship? We came here to worship. Where, is, where are we going to worship? Who's, who are we going to worship? So the idea was, where is the lamb? So he didn't see any sacrifice. So the idea would be that Abraham was told to sacrifice his only son, and then God would provide. God would provide a lamb. And so where there is no worship, where there's no lamb, there's no worship. So the understanding would be when John, if you look at the text here, again the next day John stood with two of his disciples. Now this is important. John had people that were following him, and this is important to understand. He had people that were following him, and we live in a day where people are following man. They're following people. They're worshiping people. They're worshiping pastors. They're worshiping books. They're, they're turning their attention away from Jesus, and they're putting their eyes on man. And the idea is that John says down the corridors of time where he says, where is the lamb? He looks down and here comes Jesus. And John says, listen, I'm not the person of the way. I'm a pointer of the person of the way. That's our mission at Sagemont. We are not the way. We are not the truth and we are not the life. Jesus is. So what we do is we point people to him. That's what we do here at this church. We don't point people to people. People can't save us. People can't do what Jesus can do for us. So in a day where we filter everything through a filter that says, let man be glorified, John says, wait a minute, there's one coming that is greater than me. There's one coming that I'm not, un I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. So the idea is John pointed to the one who was going to be able to say to people, you follow me. So I want to encourage you this morning that if you're here at the end of this year and you're following somebody else, maybe this last year you've been following after people, or you've been following after man's thoughts, or you've been following after man's ways. I pray that you could understand today that Jesus wants you to shift your focus from man onto him. Follow him. Jesus said, follow me. Now, this is what's important about this. In a day where people follow man, we see how man disappoints all the time. If you think about the major world religious leaders, all of them tell you something about themselves because they say, Aristotle or Socrates would say, follow my thoughts or follow my sayings. Buddha would say, follow my meditations. Confucius would say, follow my sayings, but not one of them ever says to follow them. They say, follow my philosophical thought, follow my sayings, follow my meditations. Uh, Buddha uh, would say, you know, follow, follow my noble pillars, but not one of them 
says to follow me. Now let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus says he's the only person that says, and he's not a religious leader. He's about a relationship. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to come into a saving knowledge of who he is. He says, not follow my thoughts, follow my sayings. You follow me because that's a relationship. Now watch this. This is important. Not only when you come into a relationship with Jesus do you follow a person in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we also follow the teachings of that person because he's alive. His teachings, you can't disconnect his teachings from his person. So Jesus is the only one that says, follow me. And this morning, I want to say this to you. If you will follow him you will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. We follow a person who's in a love relationship with us, and then when we fall in love with him, the person, then we understand that we follow the teachings of the person because this is the living word of God. And so we understand what John is saying. John is saying, here comes Jesus. And so John does something very incredible, and he's an incredible leader with a lot of humility. He backs out of the way and he hands off his disciples because notice what the text says. Verse 37, the two, it says this, again the next day, 35, John stood with two of his disciples. They belonged to John. They were his disciples. But John learned something about leadership and you hand off his disciples to Jesus who's the one that says, follow me. It's about a relationship. So John was just a paver to the Savior, and he was learning what it meant to walk in humility. And so John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus, look at the text, he looked at Jesus as he comes down that corridor of time, and he says, behold the Lamb of God. There he is. There he is. There he is. John was a pointer of the way. John was not the person of the way. John was a pointer to the person of the way. So that's our mission. That's what we do. We present the gospel to people and we say, Jesus Christ loves you. He has a plan for your life. And we just offer him to you. You can do with him what, what you want. But he says, follow me. So when someone receives that invitation and that gift of free eternal life, then their life begins to be changed. Look at the text. Look at the text, what it says here in 37. The two disciples heard him speak. That's John. Look at this. And they followed Jesus. You would have thought they would have heard John speak, and they followed John. But the text says they shifted their attention from John over to Jesus. And I think that's important. John wasn't a pusher of the way. He just presented and offered. Here he is. There he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They would understand sacrifice, uh, but they would understand that Jesus would be the ultimate one that would pay the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. So one of the things that's important in our lives is that we learn to tell people that we point them to the way we don't push, we just offer. But we want people here at Sagemont to turn their attention from man over to God, right? 
That's our mission. That's living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Don't look at me. If you look at me, then you see Jesus in me and through me, but you never are to focus on me. You're never to put your attention. You're never to put your focus on man. You always put your focus on God because God says, I'll share my glory with no man. So a lot of churches are built around pastors and books and authors and, and tapes, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But the problem is sometimes people worship the wrong thing. And you can worship your worship or you can worship man, but Jesus says you worship me and you follow me. This is important what the text says. Now look what Jesus does. So there's a shift from John's loyalty to Jesus. Basically what they said is, John, we're saying goodbye to you and we're saying hello to him. That's what salvation is. Saying goodbye to the old things, saying goodbye to the past, and saying hello to a relationship with Jesus Christ who loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 38. Then Jesus turned. The idea of the word turn was he, he turned around or he, he turned this way. Uh, somehow their attention, their heart caught his eye. Look at the text. Then Jesus turned and seeing them, seeing them, the idea of seeing them, looking at them, looking and gazing intently into their hearts. See, that's what Jesus does today. He, he gazes intently into our hearts. Something in their heart caught his eye and he turned. He turned around. He turned and looked at them. That's how valuable you are. That's how important you are to God, that he loves you that much. He already knows everything about you, but he still turns his attention towards you because he wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you just to follow his sayings like we hear about religious people. He wants you to follow him. And if you're going to follow him, you got to understand that he wants a relationship with you. And the reason that he wants a relationship with you is he wants to pay attention to you and he turns to you. He looks at you. He cares about you. He loves you. You've had a tough year. Hey, I've had a tough year. We've had tough years around here. There's difficult times. There's testing times. But God still loves me and I can still follow him by faith and I can still trust him because I know that he has my best interest in mind. Now, here's a question that Jesus asked and I love this. Then Jesus turned and seeing them, 38, following, said to them, what do you seek? What, what, are, you, what, are, what are you here for? What do you want from me? Now, now you know a lot of the, the Jews had different ideas of, of, of what they wanted the Messiah to be, a political leader and all those type of things. And some people followed Jesus because, you know, he, he could break bread and, and, and uh, multiply the loaves and feed 5,000. So they're like, do another miracle, do another miracle, do another miracle. So a lot of people followed Jesus for different motivations. Now listen very carefully to me. It's not what you do. It's why you do what you do. It's the motivation of our hearts. Jesus asked us a question this morning. What are you seeking? Why are you here? What are you following me for? What's the real reason that you're here today? Now let's let that settle in with you for a minute. What is the real reason that you're here today? Is it because your family's here and you say, i got to come with my family? 
What, what is the real reason? Nothing wrong with that. What is the real reason that you're here? What is the real reason? What is the motivation of your heart? Now, Jesus knew their motivation, so it's not what we do. It's why we do what we do. What is your purpose? That's what he's asking them. What is your purpose? What is the real purpose that you're following me today? I would ask you the same question. What is your purpose? Why are you here? Why did you get up this morning? Why did you put your face on this morning? Why, why did you come? Why did you get dressed up? What was your motivation for coming here? Here's the motivation that John says for us to be seeking. And we are seeking after him because we're following him. Because we want a relationship. We are desperate for a relationship. God wants us to come into a relationship. These guys were interested. They started seeking Jesus. Jesus turned and he says, what do you want? What do you want? That's a great question. Why are you here? What is the real reason that you're following me? And so this is important to understand. So he says here in verse 38, what do you seek? Now understand, it's written in red here. If you have a Bible and it's written in red letters, these are the first words that Jesus speaks in the book of John. Now, if you remember the end of the book of Malachi, where, God, where Malachi, God pronounced an earth, a curse on the earth, and he said, now the fathers need to turn their hearts to the children, and the children turn their hearts to the father. And then for 400 years, God said nothing. And the first words that come out of the book of John is, what is the real reason that you're seeking me? Why are you following me? Why are you here? Some of you may be here because you feel this is the thing that you should do. This is the religious thing to do. We should come to church. We should go to church. We should be a part of a fellowship, and that's important. That's true. But that won't save you. That won't, bring, that won't give you a relationship. The relationship comes when you follow him, following a person. What is the real reason you're seeking me? And notice in the text, they don't answer the question. Here's what they say. Look at the text. They said to him, Rabbi. They said to him, Rabbi. Let's stop right there. Rabbi would mean two things in this context and in this culture. First of all, it would be a master of laws or letters. A, a, a rabbi would be a master. Stuart could teach this a lot better than I could. A teacher. Someone that people would respect in this culture. They would be a master of laws, a master of letters. And, and so they would, if you would see a student and you would see a teacher or a master what would happen in the culture of that day is that the student would arrange their life around the teacher. If you would see a teacher out in the open market, a rabbi in the open market, you would see his students surrounding him. Wherever the master went, wherever the teacher went, you would see the students arranging their lives because they would have what is called a confession of ignorance. There's something about you Rabbi, there's something about you, teacher, that we don't know. There's something that we can't get from you on the fly. So therefore, we need to surround ourselves around your life. Wherever you are, we want you to release into our life, and we want to receive from you that which you have released. So when Jesus says to them, what is it that you're seeking? They say, Rabbi. And it's a confession of their ignorance, which is translated teacher. And here's what they say. Where are you staying? 
Do you see the back and flow of the text? Do you see the ebb and flow of the text? It's, it's a person talking here, and then it shifts to another person talking here. And it's back and forth, back and forth. Jesus says, what are you seeking? They say, Rabbi. And then they say, where you stay? You know why they said that? Listen carefully. Because they wanted a relationship. They wanted a relationship. And what they could get from Jesus couldn't be received on the fly. It couldn't have been received as a quick fix. So they said, where are you staying? Where do you live? Where do you dwell? Where do you abide? That's where we get the word. And if you go to John chapter 15, which Stuart will get there one day in John chapter 15, Jesus takes this word staying or abide, which they're dealing with here, and he says, abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. It's about a relationship. So they said, Rabbi, the lights went on in their mind. They said, Rabbi, what we can't get from you by running through this, we want a relationship. And we want to know where you're staying. So they spent a day with him. They spent a day with him. Was it Jewish time? Was it Roman time? There's a lot of debate with scholars. Here's the point. When's the last time you've spent a day with Jesus? When's the last time you've spent an hour with Jesus? The song says, Lord, I need you every hour. See, what happens in our lives, what happens in my life a lot of times is we're so busy serving the king, we don't spend any time with the king in a relationship, and therefore when we serve, we can serve him and still not be following him. You can be serving him today. You can be so busy with service that you forget to follow him. And fellowship is about a relationship. And he says, and they say, where are you staying? We want a relationship. So everything that comes out of our life comes out of the well of a relationship with Jesus. Have you ever sat down? I'm more distracted recently than I've ever been. There are times when I sit down to spend time with the Lord, and it's not a few seconds into my time that I'm so distracted and I have to fight off and ward off these distractions to focus on the main thing. Keep the main thing a main thing. Lord, where are you staying? I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. I want you to fill me with your power and your spirit in my life. Where are you staying, Lord? Where are you staying? It's about a relationship. You know what God's saying? Don't love me with time left over. Don't love me by accident. You know, this year you might say, man, I just really didn't spend that much time with the Lord. Can I tell you something? He still says, follow me. He still says, I love you. He still says, my grace is sufficient for you. He still says, if you will be still in a still place, I will still speak to you. Be still and know that I am God. We are so busy doing so many things that we forget to be still and we forget that he has a relationship. He loves us that much. He wants to be in relationship with us. Lord, where are you staying? Release into my life so that I can receive that which I need from you. Look at verse 39. Then he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying. Come and see. Faith precedes revelation. Faith precedes revelation. Come and see. Come into a relationship with me, and then I will reveal myself to you. So revelation is this. If you're taking notes, revelation is when I see. See, come and see. That's, revelation is when I see. 
But recognition is when I see God. Recognition is when I see God, when I recognize who he is. When he says, come and see, and he releases into my life the ability for him to be seen. And I receive that, and I have a revelation of who Jesus is. Not a resolution to do better, to try harder. You know, I just won't do this next year. I'll be kinder to my wife. I'll treat my children in a better way. You know, at school, I won't cuss as much as I did the last year. And so we do all these things like try harder, do better, you know, pull up your bootstraps, and you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Here's the reality. You can't do it. God never said you could do it, but he said, I will, and I will do it through you. I'll produce a power through you. And it comes out of this relationship. He says to me this morning, come and see. Faith precedes revelation. Come and see. And here's what the text says. They came and they saw. We want a relationship. We want to be in relationship with you. You know, it's okay for your children to say, Daddy, Daddy, when is it my time? Mama, Mama, when is it my time? See, God says, it's my time. And I love you that much that if you will let me pour into your life, then you will receive it, and then that flow will come out of your life. You can release what God has put into you. And that's a beautiful thing. So he says, come and see. That's the invitation. Notice he didn't give them a program. He didn't give them a program. He gave them a person. You come and see. I'm revealing myself to you, and I'm recognizing who you are in my life. Now, you know, when we think about this recognition, when we see God, when, we, when God peels back the curtain and, and what is concealed is now revealed, and he reveals how much he loves us, and then we recognize him, that's a beautiful thing. We recognize who he is. We recognize his character. We recognize his passion. We recognize his love. You know, somebody can be coming down the street, and you see them. And they're coming down the street and you are seeing them and you choose not to recognize them. You walk on the other side of the street. Turn your halo down. You're not that spiritual. And you see somebody. You see them coming. You recognize that they're coming, but you choose to walk on the other side of the street because you don't want to acknowledge them or their situation or something. And then we kind of take that thinking and we put that on God and God reveals himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and then we act like we don't recognize that revelation. Now here's the difference between the person on the other side of the street that you didn't recognize and who God is. That doesn't absolve you from understanding who God is because you can't walk wide enough along the path where God won't recognize you. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And so you can't walk wide enough on the path where God can't see you. He loves you. He wants to reveal himself to you. Come and see. Come and see what? Come and see about a relationship that, that you can recognize in your life and recognize how much God loves you. It's a beautiful thing to know that God loves you. To, to recognize that, that, you know, you go to meetings sometime and someone at a board meeting, and I've been there before, where someone raises their hand to be recognized, and the chairman doesn't recognize them. But that doesn't mean that they're not there. And with God, 
he not only reveals himself to us, but he recognizes that we're there and he wants to hear from us and he can take anything you say to him. He loves you that much. He has a plan for your life. And so just like in these disciples' life, Jesus says to us, come and see. And here's what the text says. They came and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. What is the priority of your life that is crowding out the priority of your Christ? What is the priority in your life, in my life, that's crowding out the priority of your Christ? You know, we want God to bless us 24-7, but we don't want to give him five minutes. We want God to bless us. We want God to do through us what we can never do. But we don't want to spend time in a relationship with him. Do you know that when we just spend time in a relationship with him and he says, come and see, and we sit down and we come and we see and we experience all that he has for us, he infuses his power, he infuses his strength, he infuses his joy, and we walk away from time spent with him differently than before we sat down. And then that ministry that we have of service is about following him, not doing something for him, but him doing something through me and for me and to me so that it can express itself to love for others. That's what God does. And it comes in a relationship. I have good news for you this morning. We don't ask you, join this church. We ask you, Come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He loves you from the foundation of the world. Come and see how beautiful he is, the beautiful life of Jesus. Jesus is giving them an invitation to come into a relationship. And they came, the text says, and they stayed with him, and they remained with him for that day. This is important to understand. So we have revelation, I see. Recognition, I see Jesus. And then we have this beautiful relationship that is formed because we place our life in the hands of the master, in the hands of the teacher, in the one that loves us and cares for us and has a plan for us. I want to encourage you this morning. God has a plan for you. He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you so much. He cares for you. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. We have all failed. We have all missed the mark. Here's the target. We've all missed the target. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Only Jesus hits the target with a bullseye. He's the only perfect one. And so when we put our faith in the perfect one, the finished work of the cross that we sang about today, the crucifixion and the resurrection, of our Lord. When we put our faith into him, then not only do we come, we come first. Look at the text. We come, you come first. You don't see first. The text says you come. That's revelation. That's faith. But once you come, then you can see. You can see with spiritual eyes. He just turns the light bulb on in your heart. He turns the light bulb on in your life. And then you've come into a relationship. And you can say, I can taste and see that the Lord is good. He's touched me. Oh, how he loves me. And that's what the text says. Come and see. And the text says they came and saw. And they remained with him that day. See, what happens a lot of times is we get it backwards. We want to see first. We want to see something first. Lord, show me. Do you remember Abraham? God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your children. And I'm going to bless the nations through you. And Abraham said, let's get it on, Lord. 
And uh, God said to him, you must leave first where you are. Well, Lord, where, where are we going to go? How much do I need to pack? How long are we going to be gone? God says, when you leave where you are in Ur, I'll tell you and reveal that on the way. But you produce faith first in me, and then as you're walking by faith and you're moving forward, I will reveal myself to you. You come first to me, and then you'll see. You don't see first and then come. You come first, and then you see. Here's what salvation is. It's coming to Jesus by faith. Some of you may need to do that today. You say, I'll wait till the first of the year. You may not make it to the first of the year. We're not promised another day. You come today. You come into this relationship with Jesus, and then boom, you can see. You'll have spiritual eyes. He loves you that much. You can see with spiritual eyes. You come to him by faith. Oh, come and do this. Come and do that. No, come by faith. Be broken over your sin. Be desperate for Jesus to do what only he can do in your life. Bow before him. Bow a knee. You say, I want someone to bend my knee and bow it for me. You bow your knee yourself and you say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I am desperate for you. Just like the song says, Lord, I need you. And today you can receive the free gift of salvation. Say, Lord, I need you today. Forgive my sin. Come into my life. Change me. Your life will be different. You'll be, you're coming, but you'll see. Now notice what the text says here. Notice what the text says. They came and saw, and they remained with him for that day. Don't love me with time left over. Love me out of a relationship. I don't have to spend time with God. I get to spend time with God because everything that I have is wrapped up in him, and he loves me. Now, you're going to see five salvations take place. We'll probably only get to two. But here's what happens here. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him, there's that issue of following him, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. All right, let's stop there. So one of the two who heard John speak and followed him, was Andrew. Andrew was saved by the preaching of the word. Andrew was saved. So John was a good preacher because good preaching always shifts your attention from man that we saw earlier in the text to the one who provides the way and the truth and the life. So good preaching is not preaching about yourself, come to me, come to Jesus, he's the one. And so John was a good preacher because it says here that Andrew... Simon Peter's brother followed him. He responded to the preaching of the word. Now, this is something important to understand about Andrew. Andrew learned to play second fiddle. Notice the text. Andrew was always playing second fiddle. You know, they say the hardest part to play in an orchestra is, is second fiddle. I read that. Second fiddle. Now, <clears throat> second fiddle would mean this. It's not about me. It's about someone else. I have followed him. That's what the text says. And Andrew uh, followed him, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he first found his brother Simon. Now, circle the word found. Where was he? Think about that. Where was he that he needed to be found? Do you remember in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10 when Saul was about to be anointed king? They couldn't find him. This was his big moment. And somebody inquired and said, Lord, where is, where, is, where is Saul? And in 1 Samuel chapter 10, the Lord says, Behold, I know where he is. He's hidden among the stuff. And isn't that what we do a lot of times? 
when God's wanting to do a big thing in our life, when he's wanting to move in a big way. And Andrew couldn't find his brother Peter, but Andrew had been changed because he had come to see about a relationship. And once you're changed, not only do you have a revelation of who Jesus is, you have a recognition that I see Jesus, and you have now entered into a relationship, but now you become a reflector of that light, of that relationship. And so Andrew says, i got to tell somebody. And he went to find his own brother Simon, and he couldn't find him. And I just started thinking about this. A lot of times, we hide among our stuff. We hide among our stuff. When God wants to do something, we hide. A better question would be, what stuff are you hiding today? You say, well, you don't know about my life. Well, you don't know about my life. What stuff are we hiding What stuff does God want to find us in? Because God wants to move in our lives. Andrews goes to find his brother Peter and says, we found the Messiah, and he can't be found, but he says, we found the Messiah. So he goes after Peter. Who is it in your life that is worth going after this year? Not next year, this year. Today, who is it that you've written off that you said they'll never come to Christ? That'll never happen. Their life is too much of a mess. They're hidden in their stuff, and they're going to stay hidden in their stuff. This is an encouragement to us that we should go after people that are hidden in their stuff. Because when we were hiding in our stuff, God revealed himself to us. He said, come and see, Freeman. It's not about your stuff. It's about me. It's about a relationship. I can touch you, and I can touch your stuff, and I can give you a new heart and a new life. The desires that you had for your stuff that used to fulfill you, I will shift those desires to me in a relationship. You can let go of your stuff, and you can grab onto me. And so Andrew was doing what Sagemont Church's mission is, and that's reaching out to people. Lottie Moon offering, Envision, budget offering, everything we do is about reaching people around here. So the text says, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah. Look at this, verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. He brought his brother to Jesus. Andrew is always playing second fiddle. When it was time for the Greeks to want to know about Jesus, he said, hey, I'll tell you where to go. Go to him. I'll bring you to Jesus. Remember with the little boy with the happy meal right before the miracle? Andrew found the little boy, and then he brought the little boy to Jesus. Andrew was always playing second fiddle. I like it when we can play second fiddle to the one who plays the music all better than anybody else. We focus on him and we just ask God to use us to bless people and to encourage people. And we never tell people to follow me. We say, we found the Messiah. You follow him. He will never disappoint you. Who have you been following this year? Where's your focus? Where's your energy? Are you following a spouse? Are you following some uh, Big mega preacher, you know, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, uh, there's, there's MacArthur, MacArthurites, and there's all kinds, nothing, I, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have said that. Erase that from the tape. There's Adrian Rogerites, there's all kinds of ites out there, and there's people following man. Now listen, if the men are going to point you to Jesus, you can follow them as they follow Christ. But what I'm seeing in society and what I sense in my own life at times is we think the man is the end all, and it's not. It's to get you to Jesus Christ. It's a pointer of the way. And so Andrew says, listen, I'll just be a pointer of the way, but I'm going to find my brother Simon, and I'm going to bring him to Jesus. And that's what the text says. 
You know, if you, if you had discovered a good restaurant, you'd tell somebody, wouldn't you? If you uh, went to a good movie, you'd probably tell somebody. What better news is there than for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What better news is that? Right? So we tell people through the way that we live our lives through a testimony. Now notice in the text, Andrew was saved by the preaching of the word through John. Peter was saved by testimony. By testimony. Your testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for you is so powerful. Don't ever underestimate a testimony of what the Lord has done in your life. Because what, with your testimony of God's grace working in your life, you have a platform to share the gospel through your testimony, through what Jesus has done when he said to you, come and see, and you came and you saw, and the relationship in your life has never been the same. And now Jesus wants to reach other people through your testimony. I'll close with this. We did a mission trip in, uh, to Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, the surrounding area. Uh, we went to equip pastors and minister to pastors there. And people came from all over. Let me tell you how you start a church service. You don't start it with a countdown and screens because there are no screens. There are no countdowns. There's hardly even microphones and speakers. There's little huts and little tents. That's where they meet. And so what you do is you start preaching and people start coming. You preach for hours and hours and hours and nobody will come, but then people start hearing the word and they start coming. Now, the gang members don't come inside the tent because they kind of respect this as holy, sacred area because I noticed that people were standing outside the tent and I said, nobody wants to come into the church. And they said, well, they're not going to come into the church. These were the Jamaican pastors telling me, you just keep preaching. You just keep preaching. And then slowly people would come in. Well, we did a whole week of preaching and teaching and ministering to people. And then we went to the prisons with our testimony. We preached the gospel, but then we went into the prisons with the testimony. And we went into a prison. It's not like we have a prison where you go through and they check you and they uh, do all these scans and you have to take your belt off and your shoes off and anything else, that you're, and they confiscate stuff. It's not like that at all. You walk up to a prison bar with men and women in prison. And the stench, there's a hole where they go to the bathroom, and they go to the bathroom all over the prison. So this place is, is a place that is devastated. It's a place where there's big security guards and there's guns, but these prisoners, they have these little uh, places that they stay, but it's all prison bars. It's all open, but they have these little cells. And these little cells are divided off by prison bars. And so they said, what you do is you begin to share your testimony right through the prison bars. So we would actually stick our head right up to the prison bars and we would share our testimony. So I began to share my testimony about how I came and I saw how Jesus touched me. I had to come first to him and then I saw and he revealed himself. I recognized who he was and I bowed before him and I trusted him as my savior and I shared my testimony. And as I was sharing my testimony, I said, you know, these prison bars keep me from coming into you. They divide us off. There's a dividing wall of bars here. And I said, sometimes in our lives, bitterness and fear and anger and frustration, you can be 
outside of prison like I am and still be in a prison of anger, frustration, and fear because not all prisons have bars. I was sharing my testimony. Hey, I've got, I'm in the prison in a way in some areas of my life. You happen to be behind this wall. So we continued to share our testimony. And then another guy, one of my other uh, friends that was with me, shared his testimony. How his mom passed away, and another guy shared his testimony. And here's what we said. These cells were real dark. It was real dark. They could just see our faces. And we said, we gave the invitation. We said this. We said, if you want to come and see who Jesus is. We invite you to receive him into your life and come into a relationship with him. And one by one, we couldn't see any faces, hardly any faces. We're just sharing our testimony. It's a place of darkness. One by one by one, they came to the prison bars like this. My hand went through the prison doors, doors others, other bars, other people's hands went through the bars, and we invited them to come into a relationship with Christ, and we said, listen, don't follow us, follow him. And they received Christ as their Savior. And even though they went back into that prison to serve, and I don't know if some of them are still there. Listen, you can be free and be inside a prison with bars, or you can be free and be outside a prison with bars if you will trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the message. Come and see, John says. They came and saw, and then Andrew says, I got a testimony. All of us in here that have trusted Jesus as our Savior, we have a testimony. We do. And the testimony is never to point to you. Don't share with someone 30 minutes about you. Share with them what happened to you and talk the rest of the time about what Jesus has done in your life. A true testimony points to Jesus. It doesn't point to you. Andrew said, I'm going to point to Jesus and I'm going to tell my brother, that we found the Messiah. And the same Jesus that changed me has changed, can change you. This morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can receive the free gift of salvation. All you got to do is say, come and see. God's revealed his love for you. He cares for you. He has a plan for you. And you're empty this morning. You're sensing, gosh, I have fear. I have bitterness. I have anger. I am in a prison of my own making. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ can set you free today if you'll receive the free gift of salvation. He will save you from your sin, and he will save you from yourself, and he will put a spring in your step and a joy in your heart. When you leave this place today, you can have new life in him. You can experience him. And here's the two words that Jesus says to you today. Follow me. Follow him. Follow Jesus. You don't have to follow a man. You follow Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head this morning? <clears throat> As we close our time together, we're going to stand and sing a song. This is the last Sunday of the year. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. You're here this morning and you're thinking, oh God, my whole life is falling apart. I feel so empty and scared and frustrated and hurt. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Come and see about a relationship. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to place his life into you. Would you receive him where you are? Say, Lord Jesus, say a prayer like this if you want to know him personally. Say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. The best way I know how, 
I receive the free gift of salvation into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and I choose to follow you today. I choose to follow you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer and you you know what it's like to experience salvation, but your walk is way out of whack because you've forgotten about time spent with Him in a relationship. You're serving and you're going and you're giving and you're doing, but you're doing that at the expense of the relationship. Jesus says the same thing to you. Come and see. Spend a day with me. Spend an hour with me and I'll change your life. Whatever decision you need to make today, we encourage you to make it as we trust Him in Jesus' name.